Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. Hello, and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. I'm Hilmarie Hutchison, and today we have a remarkable guest with us. He's a self-made entrepreneur who defied the odds, going from leaving school without qualifications to becoming one of Scotland's largest private residential landlords and a respected voice in the property sector. Not stopping there, he ventured into business acquisitions and now supports leaders worldwide. Please join me in welcoming the relentless and inspiring Graham Carling. Graham, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here. Could you please tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you ended up here in the UAE? I left school, as you said, at the age of 16, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at that time. All my friends coming from um you know, a city in Scotland, there wasn't a lot of inspiration, if you like, in the city that I grew up in. And a lot of my family had embarked on careers and just being a tradesman. I did not have a clue, really, what I wanted to do when I left the school. So I kind of just went with the flow. I applied to become an apprentice, a joiner on one of the youth training schemes at the time that was there. I mean, I don't know why I'd done it because I mean, I was hopeless. It was just what you'd done. You kind of just, you know, you left school and you just went into a trade. So I was quite fortunate that I managed to get a job, an apprenticeship. It was almost like apprenticeship. It was a youth training scheme that led to an apprenticeship. And you were paid the grand sum of £29.50 a week for starting off. So I got a job with one of the top companies in our and um, I started as a trainee joiner, and I really did not like it. I didn't have much appetite for school. I didn't really like, if I got my teeth into something, I love learning. I just didn't like the school environment personally. And it was kind of the same when I started the apprenticeship. You know, it wasn't right for me. I was only there maybe about six months, seven months. And my dad, I think I was only 16 at the time, had got uh, promoted and had the opportunity of a, a far bigger job down in the south of England. So we as a family moved down there. That was myself, my mum, my dad, my brother and sister. And we all moved down to the south of England. My dad started his new job. I was only a trainee joiner. I couldn't get an apprenticeship when we moved down there. After a few weeks and I left school, my brother and sister, they were younger than me. So they started school. I then went and I basically just needed to get a job. And I got a job for a transport company and basically working in a transport office. It was probably there. I'd left all my friends, if you like, back in Scotland. I'd now moved into a, an adult environment. I wasn't at school making many friends my own age. So I was really, I really immersed myself and I really got a buzz from it. I was in a transport office, food and drink distribution for the major supermarkets in the UK. I just really got a great buzz from solving problems and being involved in that pressure environment. It was a great grounding for me. I think I've always had it in me that I wanted to start my own business. I never really had, um, you know, I couldn't see myself being an employee. And within me, I wanted more, but I just didn't know how, how to get there. So started working that transport office, loved it, was there for a few years, 
I got promoted when I was 18, 19, started working in Wales, in the UK, and worked my way up through the ranks, moving about the country, progressing my career in the corporate. I was never going to be my destiny. Like I always wanted to start my own business. Eventually, after numerous sort of jobs and working up through the corporate ranks and moving companies a couple of times, I started my own businesses, I think 1999, 2000, and they were really steep learning curves. I had three failed businesses by the time I had to go back to mainstream employment. Only small businesses, but they taught me lots. You know, I didn't have a clue about financing. I didn't know about running a business. Ultimately, after my third failed business, I think it was 2003 or four, I ended up having to go back to mainstream employment. My ego was dented. I was I had no money. I was skint. My confidence was low. So it wasn't a good time for me, and I was forced to go back the mainstream employment and recover you know, where I, I was going wrong. And I think this will probably come out, you're saying, you know, what was a key moment for me? One of the key moments for me as I've gone through my life and my career has been when I caught the tail end of an Oprah Winfrey show one night. I think I'd started back mainstream employment or I was about to. She was interviewing a guy called Robert Kiyosaki who had written a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I was intrigued by it. I bought the book and it was really, buying that book genuinely was like a light bulb moment for me. It just resonated with, you know, a lot of my failures. It just explained to me, I just did not know enough about money and finance and debt and leverage and and all that stuff. And that was my problems I'd encountered as I was starting out, uh, owning my own and starting my own companies. That was a light bulb moment for me. So what I'd done was, for the last, I had to recover. I get confidence and get some cash. I suppose capital to, I needed to recover because I was owe money still to people from the failed businesses and I had to recover and pay all that off. So it took me a few years. But what I'd done in the meantime was immerse myself in financial education. I kind of read every book that Robert Kiyosaki had written. I went across, I was subscribed to the website and I was reading and obviously the internet at that time, I was able to get more information. So whilst I was working in mainstream employment and recovering, I was learning also. So I really dedicated myself to learn, you know, the financial aspects of running businesses and really how money works, how the system works. That was important to me. And then in 2007, my wife and I quit our jobs on the same day in October 2007 to embark on buying properties at the time of the financial crisis when everybody started to get out. It was the ideal time because the opportunity was there. We had enough knowledge and I suppose confidence to go and take the risk to go and start investing in the property market, buying properties where everybody else was exiting. I know we're not quite here the whole story through, but that is incredible. How you started out at at 16 in an apprenticeship you didn't really enjoy with no clear direction, but always having this drive, this passion, wanting to have your own business, wanting to make your own way. Gone through some failed businesses. You know, I love your attitude about that. You learned a lot through the failed businesses and then that turning point. And I think uh, Robert Kiyosaki did a lot for a lot of people. I know I loved his books as well. And it certainly changed a lot of my thinking around money as well. But then you put the effort in, you educated yourself and then took this big leap of faith almost in 2007 to quit your jobs and really get into the property business when everyone else was getting out. Let's talk a bit then about the, the your journey into the world of property. How did that go? 
I was keeping an eye on the property market. Property prices were, were through the roof. They didn't really add up. They didn't make a lot of financial sense. Then what we'd seen was that in the first time in maybe a decade plus, with the financial market crash, asset prices in the residential property market, you know, where we were based in Scotland at the time, and were starting to fall and fall drastically. So it was a good time to buy properties on the cheap or at discount. We've seen an opportunity. I mean, I must admit, it was still terrifying. We quitting our jobs. Our family thought we were crazy. We'd only just bought a house. We always done well in corporate. I was always successful in it, even though I completely disliked it. It was never going to be long term. When I was working in that environment, I was good at it. So I was able to progress well through the corporate channels. I really always started my own business again. So what we done was we had saved up. Um, enough money that would last us to live only for six months. We didn't have any investment capital behind us. We had no investment money. We had money to live on for six months. We just bought a house. Our son was due in November. This was October. You had the financial market crash. You were in good jobs, earning a good salary. So everybody thought we were completely off our head. But what we seen was an opportunity. Now, we hadn't just thought about it, you know, the last a few weeks before or anything, I had been preparing for this since I went back to mainstream employment and waiting, I suppose, for the opportunity. Now, it didn't make it any less scary or frightening when we had to come to the crunch to make that call. But it was one of these ones, well, I had to do it. If I believed in and I wanted to start my own business, here we've seen a great opportunity. If I really believed in what we'd learned and what I thought was going to happen, that was the time to go when everybody was getting, it was our time to get in. So with no investment money behind us, what we were able to do was buy properties at a discount. Now, for the first few properties that we'd done, at that time in the UK, and I'm going to, we'll probably come on to this later on, I wish I got started so much earlier. But that was, that's one of the things that um, I wish I had done. We should have done things way earlier. But anyway, when we did start, we had probably about a year, there was a, a remortgage product that you could use and order a same day remortgage product. So what you could do is you could buy a property. So for example, our first property, the value was £230,000 was the property value. We were able to buy it for 172000 and we borrowed the money on a bridging loan to do that. So that gave us the full amount to borrow it. That day, we had already set up a same-day remortgage at £200,000. So we repaid the 172000 and our legal fees. And I think on that, by close of play on that day, we had a property that we owned that had a mortgage on it for 200000 it was valued at 230000 and it was a sale and rent back. So they wanted to sell the property, but stay in it and rent it back from us. So we had a tenant in it from day one and we ended up, I think it was cash flowing. We were chasing cash flow. It was cash flowing about, I think, four or five hundred pounds a month. Our target was to get to an amount of cash flow that basically covered what we would have earned as a salary. That was the objective for us at the start. Nothing bigger than that, just to get to this cash flow position. So we had £20,000 out. That was good because that bought us more time to go and get more deals. We had four or £500 of cash flow, which was great because that was maybe at that time about quarter of what we really needed as the lowest 
amount of cash flow coming in every month without us having to work. It was a good deal. And we were lucky that we managed to do a few of them. Then, of course, the world changes, the financial world changes, and that product wasn't available. And then we had to pivot and move on and do things a bit differently. So so we caught the tail end of the good, I suppose, easier lending times. And I wish we'd have done a lot earlier, but um, we got the tail end of it. That was us on our way. You know, that was us, but we were really focused on cash flow. So you definitely applied the principle that Robert Kiyosaki talks about using other people's money to make money. That was really smart. Then you went along and you bought properties until the point where you were cash flow positive. We had to use the Robert Kiyosaki model because we didn't have any money. There was no choice for us at that time. So, And that's exactly what happened. Then what we were able to do is we were buying well. It's another principle. You have to buy well. If you buy well, you'll get the money, you then refinance it. We were able to then reinvest that and buy more properties to chase more cash flow. And we just kept going. And that's all we done for years and years and years and years. We became financially free within just over a year from quitting our jobs. We were financially free in the, in the sense that we had enough income. We weren't rich. We weren't uber wealthy or anything. But what we, our focusing goal was to get that our income from cash flow was more than our expenses. And that we were able to achieve that within a year. Wow, what a remarkable story. And I know it's sort of easy to look back at somebody who's been this successful and think, wow, that was easy. But as you said earlier on, it was terrifying. I mean, you really had to take that leap of faith. Fortunately, you had Robert Kiyosaki had sort of pointed the way in, in some of the principles that you then applied. You buy well. You don't think about selling well. You buy well when the price is right and use the resources um, that was in front of you, which was absolutely brilliant. But then transitioning from property to business acquisitions is then another leap you took. Could you tell us about what motivated you to shift and how do you identify the right acquisitions in the building services sector? I think in terms of the property sector, you know, there's been so many twists and turns. We just kept growing our property portfolio when most people were sitting on the sidelines and uh, procrastinating or complaining they couldn't get money or borrow money from banks and stuff. We just came up with new ways to do that. We we went and found investors that would work with us. We went and uh, were able to put down some bigger deposits then. So you were able to get some bank or commercial funding. That allowed us to keep going. We just kept doing that. But we were putting in a lot of work. And what we were doing is we were building up a lot of assets. And again, we never had any specific goal at the start to be where we are. Now, and even now, our goals just get bigger. Our ambitions just get bigger. But we didn't set out to do that. We only set out to replace our employment income. That was where it started. But once you get that, you then set new goals. If you're going from A to B, your B then becomes the new A, and you set a new B. So we just keep on, we just kept doing that. And our our new B that we got up financially free was to double it and just see how we could get on. I think for us, what we're looking at is, yes, we had a lot of assets. Real estate is great in assets, but businesses are cash and cash assets. And in the property business, it's it's illiquid, it's long-term. You know, you hold on to the assets for a long time. With business and business opportunity, I felt like a natural progression to us. You know, we went from just buying some residential properties to doing conversions. We've converted old schools into residential, old banks into residentials, hotels, pubs into residential. So we've done a lot of property type projects that had taken a while. 
And naturally, by doing the development in terms of doing the building and the development and looking after our own properties, it was kind of just like the next logical step that we then look at buying companies or businesses that look after properties or repurpose them, if you like at the moment, putting in, taking out old heating systems and putting in new eco-friendly and insulation and all of that. So it was a natural progression, really, for us to do that. But what we've seen also was that the value of buying and acquiring businesses and pulling them together and creating you know, larger groups of companies, the opportunity in doing that, and we kind of done that already in real estate. So it was basically just moving it to bigger sort of liquid numbers in an industry that we really knew. It was just a natural progression, I feel, for us. I love how you say that, that it was just a natural progression, an almost obvious move to get into that. I don't think everybody would have seen that gap the way you did. So well done. And certainly that helped to grow your business as well. When did you set up the Carling Group? Was that early on or was that later on? Well, that was later on. I mean, we just set up, we just called ourselves at the beginning Carling Properties, Leanne and Graham Carling. Then we became known as the Carling Properties. Then it was a Carling Property Group. Then the Carling Group has just evolved and more over the years. So the Carling Group is the brand, if you like. It's the name. It's what we're known as. It's what people look for, either when they're selling properties or look to sell businesses. And it's kind of, it's the head of company for our portfolio of operating entities that are now underneath that. In which countries are you operating now? So we're in the US, we're in the UAE, uh, UK, that is the bulk of it, and Spain. Oh, wow. Excellent. So when did you start your investments in the UAE then? We've been here two years ago. What we've done is we've partnered with a couple of people here. First of all, our move to the UAE was really from a personal point of view, first and foremost. We wanted to be in a city and an environment that was ambitious. The attitude of abundance was developing. It's new. It's exciting. There's a real great energy and feel about the place. So that was from a personal point of view. It's not that we have to do business here in the UAE. It's we want to do business here in the UAE and the GCC. And that will take as long as it takes. So we've been looking at many businesses and business acquisitions here. We're not going to jump in. We're going to take our time. We're going to learn the business, learn the environment with the people that are based here. We're not in any real hurry, but it's an important part. We should be doing business here. You know, we live here so, and that's it. That makes absolute sense. You're known for your commitment to improving lives through property. Can you give us some examples of how your work in the property sector has positively impacted individuals and communities? Our model when we were buying properties and renting them out, there was a demographic in the UK where those on low income were excluded from the rental market. They wouldn't pass credit checks. They maybe couldn't come up with deposits, the rents, housing benefit from the government was maybe not enough and they couldn't afford the shortfall. So we seen that. We, we would uh, put one of our properties up for rent early on. We didn't set out to do that. It was something that we just seen was happening in the marketplace when we started getting involved. And letting it out. So we'd have maybe, you know, we'd advertise a property for rent. We'd have maybe 10, 12, 15 people turn up and maybe 80, 90% of it won benefits and they were excluded from the market. And there was a fear they wouldn't pay. And just letting agents just had a, the computer said no, 
if you don't pass a credit check. And so what we decided to do was to look at it, the more sort of human side of it. You know, we got to know the people. We spoke to them. We tried to understand their circumstances, what the situation was, how long they were looking to be there, you know, whether they were have a family. I wanted to go to school in an area where we had a property. So they were going to be there for the long term because as long-term landlords, we wanted long-term tenants that we could work with and really um, work with over a number of years. We've got, by the way, tenants that are still with us today from our early properties. They've been here 15 years and we've gotten great with them over that piece. And it's just what both sides even when they've maybe encountered some financial troubles, we've maybe worked with them in that field. So we became known, if you like, as the affordable housing. Not everybody, it didn't work all the times, but I would say 90% and 95% of the time, most people paid it. They'd done what they said they were going to do. and But there was this fear factor, and I suppose in our competitors, that excluded uh, that demographic. So we're proud of that. That's something that we've done. We're not a social landlord, and we're not government housing, but we provided affordable housing. And that was a decision we took. That's one part of it. The other parts have been where we went and purchased an old school, for example. There's a huge housing shortage in the UK that's just growing, uh, by the way. So you've got old redundant buildings where we went in and renovated them to really nice apartments or townhouses, made them into good, affordable, always affordable rental properties that um, I suppose you know most people can afford, if you like whether they're on benefits or not. That's another part of it. We've had some empty buildings where we've provided properties to homeless people for periods of time when, particularly through winter periods and that, where we've allowed access to properties we've maybe had vacant. We've just let them stay there. So we've done many initiatives that um, have helped. And of course, now on the building services side or on the facilities side, we are upgrading properties. We're installing solar panels, batteries. We're changing old heating systems to make them more efficient, bringing in, you know, air source heat pumps, ground source heat pumps, really upgrading uh, housing. And that's a mixture of government housing, social housing, private housing, and our own housing. That's remarkable. I love that, that you're giving back uh, to the community as well. So you must have some really good people that you work with that's helping you realize all these things that you are putting into place. Yeah, we do. We've got a cracking team of people. We have managing directors and boards of directors in the companies. I don't really get involved at all in a lot of the operational stuff. We manage the whole as opposed to any individual piece of it now. And that's just how things have grown over time. We've had to keep renewing and upgrading our team. We work with good advisors. Again, it never stops. You have to keep upgrading them. You have to keep moving. What was good for us back five years ago, the level that we're at now and the growth that we're having is not suitable. So you're always upgrading and moving and ultimately it never stops. You're just always at that. Yes, you always, you've got that passion to keep growing. So looking ahead, what exciting projects or initiatives are you currently working on and what can we expect from the Carling Group in the future? Well, the Carling Group is looking to expand its operations in the US. We also have got some exciting projects in clean energy. Then in Spain, we're looking at uh, some AI projects in the UK and US also. So what's happened is we've just expanded, but that's working. It's not working with partners or experts in particular fields that we are not. I would say one of the key strengths, if not our key strengths, is our ability to see value in the market and how we can then look at how we can then get into that sector, that field, working with people and identifying value 
and taking action upon it. I think that's what we've done all through our when we started. And we look back at, you know, we've seen an opportunity in the property market during the financial crisis. We've seen how the rules and regulations and upgrades to properties. We've seen an opportunity with the affordable housing sector. So the building services with certain rules and regulations around energy efficiency and EPC ratings and, and all of that. So that's one of our key areas. Our challenge is to try to keep it focused so that it's not too wide and too far. One of the real benefits of being here, based here in the UAE, when we were in the UK, it was difficult because the UK is the centre. Gravity we're from there. That is your universe. It's the centre of the universe. Given us by moving to the UAE, we now have a far more global look and approach to things. And that's um, that's what moving here has done for us and done for us personally, done for us as a business. We're now attracting uh, wider opportunities throughout the world and not just focused on a small market. There's no doubt you've got a gift, you and your lovely wife, to see the gaps in the market. You've taken them, you've done some really good work with them and we're excited to see how you progress from here. Now it's time to spice things up a little bit and do our game show. So I've got some rapid fire questions ready for you. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. Can you name one thing on your bucket list? I um, would love to do Everest, the peak. I've done the base camp twice, but I'd love to do the peak of Everest. Exciting. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning. One book everyone should read. Ah, easy. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I knew that would be your answer. Beach vacation or mountain retreat? Mountain retreat. What is your go-to productivity hack? I don't know if it's a hack. It's just keep going. It's just keep going, you know, get up early and work till late. You know, you'll get it done. I've not really got a hack. You know, we write things down, write it down and cross it off as you do it. The bigger list you've got, the more you'll get done. For me, that's what works for me. I love that. Make a list and, and get stuff done. I love it. One thing you do every day, no matter how busy you are. We go for a walk, a 10K walk every single day. 10K every single day. That's remarkable. Well done. Every day. Well, thank you for playing along. That was easy enough. Now, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you about your green pill moment. If you had to take the green pill and go back in time and change one thing about your journey, what would it be? I would have started a lot earlier. I would have started, I went into business, I would have failed faster. I shouldn't have waited five, six, seven years from uh, starting out in employment. I always had it in me. I think of the five, seven years that I was in employment from when I was 16 to when I started my first businesses, those were wasted. Half of them were wasted years. I should have started earlier. The problem was the advice I was getting from people that I'd never done, I was looking to do. The environment I was in was an employee-haired environment, did not encourage me to go and do that. So that's it. for me, it's emphatic. I wish I had failed faster, failed younger. Excellent. That is a fantastic way to look at that. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us, for sharing your green pill moment as well with us. I have so enjoyed this conversation. I think we have a lot in common with really enjoying Robert Kiyosaki's view on money and view on things. And you've really taken that, you and your wife, and you've done some remarkable things with it. So it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for the time. I'm sure our audience is going to enjoy this conversation as much as I have. Now, before we go, could you please tell our listeners where they can find and follow you and also put this in the show notes? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, Graham Carling. Our company is thecarlinggroup.com or united-capital.co.uk. That's our websites. That gives our portfolio 
or companies, but available. I'm mainly on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook or anything. Sure. Okay, super. Thank you for that. And again, thank you so much for joining me today. I wish you and the Carling Group all the very best. Thank you very much. To our listeners, stay tuned for more engaging episodes on the Matrix Greenpool podcast. Remember, inspiration can strike from the most unexpected places, so keep your minds open and your curiosity alive. Until next time, stay green and stay curious. If you enjoy our conversations, please like and subscribe. See you next Wednesday.